And we welcome you into the best podcast available, episode number 19, just 48 hours removed from the 2020 NFL Draft. I'm Jason Gibbs, alongside Andrew Gribble and the great Nathan Zagura. Happy to give us a few minutes of his time on this Tuesday morning as we break down and go through the Browns 2020 NFL Draft picks. We will go around the AFC North. We'll also go around the league couple other big picture items, and we'll see if we can get a nuke coming from Andrew Gribble at the end of this podcast. First and foremost, however, we have a sponsor. That's right. Come on. Someone <laughs> loves us. We are in. We're in. We Gribble, <clears throat> can I interest you in a little Arby's? I, oh. I would love some, and that's, that's going to get me craving it after we're, we're done with this. I mean, I – I'm going to have to change my dinner plans here. Early fry. <laughs> they have the meats. We've got the analysis. Do it's they? a match made in heaven. It's Look at that. Baby. Little horsey sauce. Never hurt anybody. Uh, the, the Arby sauce you can oh. put on just about anything. It, it is spectacular. So we want to thank Arby's for coming along with us. And uh, thanks for being a part of the best podcast available post-draft editions. We're going to keep coming to you every Tuesday every Thursday, because the boss has said, we're gonna to come to you every Tuesday and every Thursday. We're gonna continue the BPA rolling along. And first things first, guys, the 2020 NFL Draft is in the books. Just a quick thought from each of you, Gribbs, we'll start with you on what, uh, in my opinion, was a, was a very successful weekend for Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski and company. Yeah, it's hard to convey this, but it just felt like there was a plan in place and you stuck to the plan. And I think that the the board couldn't have fallen better, in my opinion, for the Browns on that first day. You know, maybe some of us would have been excited by the Isaiah Simmons prospect there at number 10. But yeah, it just felt like when you were watching the draft that the Browns had a plan in place. And it was a combination of the plan and the board really falling in their favor that that made us kind of feel really good about the picks, not just in the first round, but into day two and into day three as well. But uh, I don't think the first 10 picks could have gone any better for the Browns. You didn't have to make a move for the number one tackle on your board uh, in Jedrick Wills. And and it turned out that the, the the top 10 kind of unfolded like a lot of the mocks did. And it, it was almost a, a vindication of all the mock draftery that was uh, going on before the draft. Yeah, no doubt. And I think you're exactly right. And the way that top 10 went couldn't have been better. And the Browns absolutely had a plan. Hey, that's one of the three P's, right? It's, it's the preparation, it's the plan and the process. And they had their plan. And I don't think this could have gone any better. We said it was our dream scenario. We didn't know anything. Okay, We were just talking about it. Obviously, it was just our opinions. But it also turned out that our dream scenario was the Browns dream scenario. Wills and Delpit, that's what they wanted. That was their design when they went into day one. Wills was their top target. That's who they wanted, period, end of story. They wouldn't even, I think, if they felt they had to, maybe moved up to make sure that they got him. And on day two, when they went to bed on Thursday night, their target day two was Grant Delpit. And for Grant Delpit to be there, and not only to be there at 41, but to be there at 44 so they could pick up an extra fifth-round pick, which they used on Nick Harris, the center from Washington, later on basically for free and still get Grant Delpit. I mean, that's all you could ask for. It was the dream scenario. They got the top two players they wanted and the way that it laid out. It just so happened the top two players on their board were also at their top two positions of need relative to when they picked. And, and it was a dream scenario. I think they got two top ten guys. That's how much I like Grant Delpit. I've been loving – I never envisioned this. I mean, I was almost beside myself. It was jubilation city, as Dickie V would say, when the Browns were able to get Delpit in the second round. And, and we didn't think that was going to be possible, and yet there it was. And when I did it on my mock last week on the BPA, Wills Delpit, that was a dream. I didn't think that was realistic. And now it's happened, and it's glorious. Yeah. It's not too shabby when you get a guy like Jedrick Wills, who we'll talk about, also, Grant Delpit. Before we get further into the draft, though, we do have some Browns news out on uh, that came out yesterday as it pertains to fifth-year options. And Miles Garrett getting his fifth-year option picked up, no surprise. David Njoku's option picked up as well by this football team. And, uh, you know, you go out, you make a splash in free agency at tight end, you make a splash in the draft at tight end, but now you have Najoku as well. You have a loaded tight end room gribble as we go into the 2020 NFL season. 
Yeah, and I think we got our first indication of, of where Andrew Barry was leaning toward Dave Njoku on this uh, radio show I've heard of, Cleveland Browns Daily, uh, when he made an, a, an exclusive interview appearance where he talked about just they think highly of, of him and don't think 2019 was a reflection on him. So it's really it's buying stock in, in David Njoku after his what is goes down because of injuries and other issues as his worst NFL seasons. So I think it's a vindication of maybe what Kevin Stefanski wants to do on offense because you added uh, Harrison Bryant to the mix in the fourth round, but also just what they think David Njoku is. I think they think he is the guy who caught more than 50 passes for 600 yards uh, in 2018. And uh, I, I think that this, this, I would think the goal is to be what the Patriots were at their peak when they were using all the tight ends under the sun. And I think that would be Kevin Stefanski's dream scenario. And you've got now the guys in place to maybe pull that off. Listen, the fact of the matter is, as you mentioned, two years ago, this is a guy who had 58 catches, 639 yards, and four touchdowns. This is a guy who's 6'4", 260, runs like the wind, can jump out of the gym for those of us who like basketball. And so there aren't athletic profiles around like that a lot. Let's not forget, Andrew Berry was instrumental in that front office that picked him in the first round. And so what they're doing by picking up the fifth-year option, I don't think they went into this draft saying we have to get a tight end. In fact, I know that. The fact that Harrison Bryant was on the board in the fourth round, he was just too good for them to pass up, and so they brought him in. David Njoku's absolutely in their plans. You pick up the fifth-year option. He was a late first-round pick, so it's not a huge financial commitment to him. And what you're doing is you're saying, you, we're going to give you two years because we believe in you, and we believe in our coaching staff, and Drew Petzing, we're going to get him in here, get you in this system, and we think it's going to bring the best out of you, but we're committed to you for two years, and we want to see how that plays out. And so I love that they picked up this fifth-year option. It was never a doubt in my mind that they would. Harrison Bryant, that was the one they could not believe that he was on the board. When I talked to A.B. after that draft, and I talked to Coach Stefanski, said, what was the one thing, you know, they, I, of course you like everybody you pick, but what's one you're – both. Harrison Bright never thought he would be there, and it's a perfect offense. You bring him in. Austin Hooper told me on that working from home that, look, it takes a year or two for tight ends in this league, and now there's no rush on getting Harrison Bryant on the field. Of course, you can, but now you've got three great guys, and we saw last year when David went out, our tight ends disappeared, gone. Now, if we have an injury, you're still able to deal with it, and I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing, but this front office, and you're right, they are high on David Njoku and for good reason and they believe he's going to get back on track in this offense yeah I, I, some good news coming out of Berea with regards to these fifth year options just giving guys a chance to develop and, and continuing to let Njoku develop I mean he, he, how young is he how old is he right now I'm, I'm sure there were some players drafted this weekend who were older than David Njoku yeah, yeah exactly I mean well he will be 24 he's 23 currently and yeah. he's been in the league three years already. That's my point. This is a young guy with a ton of talent. You don't get this athletic profile. Harrison Bryant doesn't have his athletic profile. So, of course, you're going to give him a chance. And with two years here, you're getting on the miles. You lock that in because you realize you're going to be in a serious negotiation for a long-term deal. And it just gives you a little bit more time to negotiate that all out. Yeah, no question about it. All right, let's get back to the draft and the guys we selected. We took seven players in this draft. We start off with Jedrick Wills at, at tackle. Joe Thomas is number one. Dane Brugler's number one. Gribbs, how shocked were you that he was there at number 10 when the Browns were on the clock? Well, it, it was just so weird to watch because I, I just kept waiting for this run on tackles, which, as we found out, that was all the pre-draft buzz. It was all baloney. I mean, like, come what? on. I mean, when, when the Dolphins posted that when they drafted to a tag of Iloa, they had like a 2000 word story on their website. You know, they, they knew that they were taking this guy. Like, so I, I think it, that was, the, that was the one pre-draft thing that was just nonsense. And I, I think that also the way that Tristan Wirfs fell in this draft was just another validation of maybe the combine isn't all it, it cracks up to be when it comes to offensive linemen, especially, but I think the key pick for me was Derek Brown at number seven to Carolina. That's when I started to feel really good uh, about the Browns' prospects of getting uh, a guy like Wills. And, and it just – it worked out so well to, to get someone who you believe was the best tackle in the draft and not have to give up anything for him. I mean, this is what we thought could happen, but I think a lot of us were starting to doubt it a couple weeks before the draft. Yeah, and it felt, like I said, perfectly. This is who they wanted. In their mind, 
it wasn't a group of four tackles. In their mind, it was Jedrick Wills, and they were able to get him, and I think that is why it went so well. You're right. Carolina was a pressure point because had Carolina taken Isaiah Simmons, I think Arizona maybe then goes offensive line. And now could, they could have gone Beckton, obviously, but it, they could have gone Jedrick Wills as well, and then that would have changed everything. So once Brown went to Carolina, that was huge. We knew that number nine was likely to be a receiver or a corner, whether it was drafted by the Jags or somebody trading up to get that corner because Atlanta supposedly was interested in C.J. Henderson out of Florida. And then there we were, and we were, we were rolling. And it was easy. The Thursday night was supposed to be go according to plan. They went through a bunch of simulations. Not many of them had Wills there, but in the one that counted, Wills was there, and now he's a Brown. Yeah, a fantastic game for the Cleveland Browns at pick number 10. And we'll talk about the rest of the first round. But basically, the Browns were done. By, by 10 o'clock on Thursday night, it was over. Everybody was watching. I'm sure the Browns front office, they won't tell you this, but they, I'm sure they were entertaining offers, maybe even looking to move back in. But that's something for them to know and for us to ponder as the, uh, as the weeks and months go by as we get closer to the 2020 NFL draft. We go to Friday night. Grant Delpit, first and foremost, Browns were on the clock at 41. Somehow, Zagura, they move back three spots. They get a pick, and they get their best guy that they wanted in safety, Grant Delpit. So I thought it was interesting. Saturday night after the draft concluded, it was probably around 9 o'clock, actually. I, I did a Zoom very much like this one with Andrew Barry, and he was telling us they had all these simulations and computer programs going that were telling them the percentages of if they traded back that Delpit would still be there because that's who they wanted. I mean, it was clear when the day started they wanted Delpit. I'm pretty sure they even considered at some one point maybe th talking about moving up to get Delpit, and in the end they were able to move back and get Delpit. You know, the risk was somebody trading in that they hadn't foreseen to grab him, but it, it ended up not happening, and it worked out. Couldn't have worked out better. I'll, I believe this firmly. I think the Browns got two top ten players in this draft. Grant Delpit in 2018 was a top three defensive player in the country, period. Did it at LSU. Did it in the brightest of lights. Five sacks, five interceptions, 14 pass breakups. He, got the, he was wearing number seven. That's a big deal down there. There's no doubt in my mind. They call him Baby Jamal. That's what they called him on the team because he was like Jamal Adams. He had that swagger. He had that playmaking ability. And as Greedy Williams said in the quote that I found, he had the handsome good looks as well that Jamal Adams had. So I think you got a guy on par Maybe with a Jamal Adams, certainly at his best. Jamal Adams went top five. The early mocks for this year, he was a top five pick in all of them. And you get him at pick 44 and pick up a free pick. You basically, when it's all said and done, after all the moving around, you turned a seventh this year into a fifth. So he moved up two rounds for free and picked up a third next year. Bravo. And he got the top two guys they wanted. That was their home run scenario. It was our home run scenario. It was everybody's home run scenario. And it happened. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it was a, it's a, it was a, it showed a lot of gumption on Andrew Barry to move back when his guy was there at 41. I mean, that, that, that's a risk. And I think that that to me, that, that, that just shows the work and planning that they put into this to be competent. I mean, this, this wasn't a situation like in 2018 when you took Corbett at 33 and Chubb at 35. Because you knew the Giants weren't taking Chubb at, at 34 because they just took an orangutan. This there was more risk at, at play sure. to do this, and I, I would say to, to echo what you said, just Grant Delpit, it, the previous year was a unanimous All-American, which is very hard to do. I mean that, especially at a position like safety, and LSU was not the national championship team that it was this past year, where some guys maybe got some some awards that they maybe shouldn't have. I mean they were they were okay. They were 10 and three, but. He, he was an outstanding player for them. And I, I think we've seen – remember Miles Garrett trying to play through a high ankle sprain? I mean, it's, it was like two different players. I think this is what the Browns are banking on with that Grant Delta from last year, who was still really good, uh, was not the same that they believe he will be when he's healthy. Now, most of those guys at the safety spot were there. There were some big names on, on day number two. And I think that also allowed that safety class to fall back as much as they did – Zagura, were you surprised at the, at the names that were still on the board on day two? Listen, the fact of the matter is I, I was stunned that Grant Delpit's not a first-round pick. I'm just happy that he's a Cleveland Brown. But, yeah, you saw Xavier McKinney was a guy that you thought was going in the first round in a lot of these mock drafts. There were a lot of guys that you thought were going in the first round. It was loaded there in the second round. I mean, T. Higgins gets, it goes in the second round. Gross Matos goes in the second round. Delpit, uh, Xavier McKinney. These are guys that 
were first round picks in a lot of these mock drafts. And yet here they were available at that point. Ezra Cleveland was on the board for a long, long time. Josh Jones was on the board for an unbelievably long amount of time. So it was very interesting versus the mocks versus what played out. Once he got out of, I would say, the top 20 is really when I think things really started to change. But yeah, I, I, it worked out in the Browns' favor. That's the thing. You can have needs. You can have the idea of who you want to fill those needs, and, and they did it. Basically, the top two needs on the team were tackle and safety. They did it back-to-back in that order. But you don't know who's going to fall to you and how the board is going to fall. But it couldn't have fallen any better for Andrew Barry, certainly on days one and two, and I would even say into day three for what they were trying to accomplish. Right, Do you think great. the Browns went into that draft being like, all right, the Patriots are taking this guy from Lenore Ryan. I mean, like, that's just a, a lock. I mean, like, we don't have to worry about – about the Patriots scooping up Delpit. I mean, that, that just seemed like the most Patriots pick of all time. Yes. Maybe, and also because he is much more of a strong safety and, like, hybrid strong safety linebacker. And you just, they just re-signed Devin McCourty for a couple of years at, you know, 11-plus million a year. So I didn't think there was much of a danger for a true – for more of a free safety type like Grant. So I think the Browns got very lucky in, in that regard. But, yeah, that is a very Patriots pick. I mean, look at – you got Rutgers, McCordy was a Rutgers guy. Deron Harmon was a Rutgers guy. They, they don't mind, you know, not that it's as small of a school, obviously, but not a perennial football power other than the few years that they produced guys like the McCordys and, and Kenneth Britt. All right, so we'll get into the third round here in just a second, but those are the Browns' top two guys. And those two guys, there, there's a lot expected of them. Yep. But Gribble, should we be expecting them to start in September? week one of the 2020 NFL season or you know do you, do you have to give these guys a, a chance that maybe they're they're not ready to start till the middle point of the season or or even later I, I mean I don't know if Jedrick Wills has a choice I mean I don't know who else you're putting it at left tackle to to start the season uh so I, I would say he's probably going to be starting to to get your season started I mean Delpit probably will but I don't it's not a given I mean there's there's a couple veterans there that you, you added, and, and I think that Carl Joseph and, and Andrew Sudeo have played some good football, so they're, they're not just going to give up their positions there. I do think even if he's not a starter, he's going to be playing a bunch, in a, and I think using the versatility uh, that he has, and I think that's the word that just kept coming up with Andrew Berry and Delpit is they can use him in a lot of different spots. Look, we don't know what the impact truly this offseason is going to have on these rookies. So I think a lot's going to be on Jedrick Wills and Grant Delpit while they are in this virtual offseason to learn the techniques that they need to play in this offense or defense, respectively, to learn the playbook so that when they come in, they hit the ground running. If they do, they both will be starters in day one, week one. They're both that good. And I honestly think that we're going to reach a point early in this season where Grant Delpit becomes the vocal leader of this defense. That's just the way that he is wired. We don't really have that guy on defense uh, in our, on our roster anymore. You'd say the guys who are kind of the biggest quote-unquote leaders would have been, you know, Schobert by example, Christian Kirksey kind of from the heart and soul standpoint, and, and Demarius Randall in a sense from his, from his mouth, you know. And now you're going to have a guy that's got the skills, the attitude. That's who he was at LSU. I don't think that's going to go away. I think he's going to be a leader from the second he gets here, and I think that he will start day one. But it's nice to know you have Andrew Sandejo to play there if you need to. I mean, and think about this, folks. Think about this. Our starting DBs, assuming that Delpit starts week one, three first-rounders and two second-rounders because you got Denzel, you got Kevin Johnson and Carl Joseph, all first-rounders, and Greedy and Grant Delpit, both second-rounders, both of whom, by the way, certainly have first-round talent. There is a lot of talent in that back end all of a sudden when we thought, whoa, what's going on back there? You're going to be starting nothing but ones and twos in that room. I think that's pretty impressive. All right, we move on to the third round, and we had not one, but two guys, and we make our second trade uh, of the draft. Uh, we were slated to go at pick number 74. We trade the 74th pick, and we trade the seventh round pick, which right there, I'm willing to take Big Andrew win. Barry out for steak dinner for like a month for trading the seventh round pick. Glorious. In exchange, they move back 14 spots to pick number 88. They also get a 2021 third round pick pretty valuable uh, commodity there, but they move back at pick number 88. They address the defense again, Jordan Elliott, the defensive tackle out of Missouri. Also Jacob Phillips then at pick number 97 and a pick that they've gotten from Houston. Uh, the 6'3", 228 pound linebacker from LSU. So Jordan Elliott and Jacob Phillips in an all defensive day two heist 
for the Cleveland Browns. Gribbs, your takeaways from what they did on day number two. Well, I think outside of the pick of Delpit, I think the trade back in the third round was maybe the best decision they made in, in, that, in that day too. Because I think if you're a smart team, I think going into the draft, you know that there is nothing that comes at a better price than a third round, than, than future draft picks, the, the future assets. I mean, we thought it was a steal when the Browns traded a, a very capable and good running back in Duke Johnson that got a third round pick. The Browns just had to move back 14 spots and part with a very late seventh round pick to get a third round pick in, in the 2200. That's a huge trade. And uh, I, I, th I think it was maybe a, a validation of maybe where the, they saw the board playing out at that spot as well, where they could afford uh, to make a move back. And I also think that that move back is maybe some, what, where this team is at and thinking about its linebacker room as of now, you used the pick on Jacob Phillips again in the third round. But there was an opportunity there to get Zach Bond, and the Saints came up and traded him. I, I think that this team thinks highly of, of its linebacker room, maybe more than people expect. And they're maybe just letting this plan play out, be like, hey, you used two draft, pick on, draft picks on linebackers last year. These guys, let's give it some time and let, let's see what they can do. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. First of all, you talk about the trade back from 74 to 88, and it brings in the question in your mind, what's better than one Arby's roast beef? two Arby's roast beef. And the question is, what's better than one third rounder? How about two of them? There you go, Gibbe. And so they were able to move back. And Paul D. Podesta basically said the guy that they would have taken uh, at 74 was Jordan Elliott. And then sure enough, they, they thought if they, he wasn't there, they could get somebody obviously that they felt comfortable with. But sure enough, he still was there for them at 88. And so again, they get their guy, they move back, they pick up an asset. And Elliott, when you watch his highlights, is incredibly impressive. Closing speed, got to wear number one that last year uh, at Missouri. He can get to the quarterback. He can be a disruptor in the middle. They love his quickness off the ball. And one thing that was said multiple times in the press conferences and then in the interviews that I conducted afterwards was, we can't wait for Chris Kiffin to get his hands on this kid. Because you think about what Chris Kiffin did, pass rush specialist with the Niners front last year, and now he's going to get this great piece of clay to work with in Jordan Elliott. And they think that they have somebody that can be special. And not only that, while defensive tackle didn't jump out as a huge need because you got Richardson and Ogan Joby and you brought in Billings. We all saw what happened as the year went on last year and we all saw who was on the field for the Cleveland Browns. Now this guy comes in as your fourth defensive tackle and you've got Larry in the last year of his deal. We know Sheldon's a veteran. Billings comes in on a short deal. So you needed somebody else in there and I think this is one where they thought we got somebody who's very good, who's a, very, a pass rusher and that's something that you're looking for. Had one of the highest grades of any interior defensive line in the last couple of years per pro football focus. So I think they were looking for a very specific skill set, and they got it in Elliott. All right, so that was the end of day two. We move on to day number three. One pick in the fourth, one in the fifth, and one in the sixth. If only they could all be that way on day three of the, of the NFL draft, year in and year out. The Browns get right to work, though, in the fourth round. At pick number 115, uh, there had been a lot of talk. I know, Nathan, we had talked about it on the draft show Friday night as we were getting ready to wrap up and go to bed. And then on Saturday morning when you woke up, is this where the Browns maybe go after a wide receiver? Or, you know, what else is out there right now? Linebacker, corner, or a pass rusher, or edge rusher. They go get a tight end, and they get one of the better ones. And Harrison Bryant the tight end out of Florida Atlantic and, and Nathan, here's a guy that he just makes plays and a big body. And we touched on it earlier. That's going to help this tight end room. Look, good route runner Lance Zerline gave him the pro comp of George Kittle, which certainly we would take anything near what Kittle has done for the 49ers. But this kid had over 1,000 yards receiving. That hasn't happened for a tight end since 2013. He won the Mackey Award as the best tight end in the nation. And it's the first time it's ever happened with a tight end not in a Power 5 conference. So he knows this outside zone scheme. He is a good and willing blocker. Uh, ran a lot of the outside zone was their base run there uh, under Lane Kiffin. So he comes in, and this was a, a situation where I don't think they were looking for a tight end per se, but he being on the board, they couldn't believe it. They said, we got to get him. We'll bring him into our program and go that way. I do think receiver, slot corner, center, obviously a center for the future was something that they were looking at, but this was, they thought, too good to be true. And I just want to go real back real quickly on Phillips and echo something Grib said. I think they like what we have in our, in our linebacker room, but they wanted something specific. Again, they were looking for specific traits with these guys. Phillips, long, lean, fast, rangy, tough. 
and they like his length in space. And I think that's why they were so drawn to him. And then you get a guy, because he's going to be the one who's going to have to cover the guys like the Harrison Bryant's or in our division's case, like the Mark Andrews, et cetera. So that's what they were looking for there. But Bryant, six for 79 against Ohio State and stood out as a guy that belonged on that field. And I think he said that was a big game for him. But I love that pick. And I know the Browns were thrilled about it. And I know other teams in our division were not thrilled about it. Gribbs, when you take a look then at the Browns pick in pick number five, 160 overall. Freebie. Brown, <laughs> draft maybe their center of the future. In Nick Harris, 6'1", 293 out of Washington. And the more that I – I know the more that I read on him and the more I see about him, the more impressed I am. And here's a guy that – you know, might take a little bit of developing, but not only can he play center, he can also play guard as well. Yeah, and he can – I think the the thing was, I think it was – maybe it was Jeff Schwartz that put out. If he was a couple inches taller, this would have been a, a day one or day two kind of pick. And so, I mean, having a skill set, like being able to snap the ball in the NFL is very important. And I know I brought this up maybe uncomfortably with one John Greco back in uh, in an earlier podcast edition where – when you lost Alex Mack, I mean, you're in trouble. I mean, you, you needed a center for that offense. And, you know, it's not just an easy thing for someone to pick up. I mean, it's just – it's a truly different skill set. So, I think to bring in Nick, Nick Harris, first off, just solidifies that you're okay if a guy like JC, who's played through a lot of pain the last couple of years, if he has to go down with an injury first off. And then he does have the versatility. So, I think if he can play guard, you're going to bring him up on game day. And you've had the expanded rosters now where you can have more offensive linemen on your game day roster. It's just, it's another player where I think that they felt like they were getting him around later than they probably thought they could have. And it was just tough to pass up. And I know offensive line picks, especially on the interior, don't exactly get the, get the people going the same way that a, that a Grant Delpit does on day two. But th I think this was an area of need on a team that still does have some question marks at right guard. I couldn't agree more. I think he will be a, a center. And I think that's how they view him long-term because of the height limitations. And I think, you know, you saw Jeff Schwartz, what he said about him, but here's what Dane Brugler, I think this final sentence just sums it up. He will be overlooked because he lacks ideal NFL measurables, but he has a terrific blend of smarts, technique, and agility with a competitive playing temperament displaying starter level traits in a zone blocking scheme. And Brugler had a third round grade on him. This kid is natural in his movement, his ability to get to the second level, get those double team blocks, which is, that's what you need to do as a center. That's why Alex Mack was so successful in the scheme. His movement skills were rare. This kid has them. He doesn't have that height, and that's why he fell. But this kid, when you watch him, and you watch him in pass protection, 900 pass blocking snaps as a center at Washington, two sacks allowed. He is strong. He's low. They say low man wins. He is low. He's got that leverage. But it's the movement skills that really attract the Browns. And they feel, like to your point, Gribbs, they got a guy later than he should have gone, but a guy that is also specific to their scheme. That's where his strengths line up. And I think you go back to the plan comment you made at the beginning. They know they're going to be here for a while. We are working on building an identity, knowing that we are an outside zone football team. We're bringing in guys that fit that. We know what we're going to be on defense under Joe Woods. We're bringing in guys that fit that because they are building something that has an identity, that has a plan. It's not, oh, let's just get this or that or whatever, willy-nilly. They know exactly what they're looking for. They did it in free agency, they do, and they did it in the draft. And I don't think it's a surprise at all. Yeah, no, a, a good pick, a great pick by, by the Browns. I think the thing that impressed me the most was – it's very rare you see a team promote someone in their redshirt year and strip them of the redshirt title that's not replacing someone that's hurt. He flat out proved to everybody on that Washington staff he belonged from day one. I don't want to be a redshirt. I'm better than these guys. I'm going to force you to play me. And I think there's something to be said about a, the work ethic and the type of player that he is. Especially at a position he wasn't supposed to play. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he was. A, there aren't many guys who get recruited as centers. They usually get converted into centers, but he was a center recruit. Like, yep. That, yeah. that, that shows he's been doing this for a while. All right. Our final pick, pick number six from the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. The only guy that might rival Grant Delpit in terms of a Zagura enthusiasm, uh, it would be Donovan Peoples Jones. The Browns go get a wide receiver from the University of Michigan. Uh, a guy that I think a lot of people thought might go a little bit higher than he went, but a guy that 
is going to help this team not from an, not only from an offensive standpoint, but clearly in the in the calls with the media after he got picked, he's going to help on special teams. Z. There's no doubt. And yes, I was excited. Not Grant. I'm not going to say we got three guys in the top ten in this draft, but we got somebody from a, from an athletic standpoint. That's probably one of the top 10 athletes in this draft. I mean, you go back, coming out of high school, he was the number one wide receiver in the country. Five star of five stars. Had offers from everywhere. Ended up going to Michigan because that's where his father went. And he wants to be an orthopedic surgeon like his father when his playing days are done. So this is a smart young man. But 6'2", 215, runs a 4440, 44-inch vertical, over an 11-foot broad jump. I mean, you talk about just an athletic profile. He had it all. Urban Meyer said he was the best receiver he's ever seen in high school. It did not manifest itself into production at Michigan. And there are probably a variety of reasons for that. Some would be the quarterback. Some could be the system. Some could be of Donovan Peoples-Jones' own doing. But he's here now in a sixth-round pick where there is literally no downside whatsoever. There is only upside. And you have an opportunity with this kid because he's going to be unlike from an athletic profile standpoint anybody in our wide receiver room. And really, he's unlike most receivers in the NFL. That's how elite he is from that standpoint. So if he's willing to put in the work and learn, and he's got two veterans in Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry who have done more with less, even though Odell's an unbelievable athlete in his own right, but he can learn a lot about route running. He can learn a lot about setting DBs up. He can learn a lot about work ethic from those guys, and he's going to have Chad O'Shea there as the coach. If they, again, you talk about good pieces of clay, this is as good as it gets. This is, you would build him. This is central casting. What should a stud number one receiver look like? Donovan Peoples-Jones is the answer. Now it's going to be on him to put in the work and the coaching to get the best out of him. And if that happens, the Browns will have a huge steal. At the very least, you mentioned it, took two punts to the house there, was a freshman All-American for his punt returning. JoJo Natson's going to have a little competition in that regard now. But you have a guy that can contribute on special teams, and I'm sure they're going to train him. Priest's going to get his hands on him and say, you're going to be running down the field using that speed and that size, and you're going to be making plays for us, and then you can earn your way onto the field as the receiver. Ribs? Yeah, I mean, this is someone who I, I wasn't maybe as excited about Nathan pre-draft because the, the lack of production would concern me a, a little bit just because you wonder what happened. But right. that's, that, that goes out the window for me in the sixth round. And that, that's the it, – maybe it had, had this been pick number 115, I'd be like, you know, what, maybe let's hope that they're buying on upside. But sixth round, I mean, th that's, what, that's all you're looking for. I mean, you should have a team where you're good enough to – it's a bonus if they make the team as a sixth round pick. I mean, that's, that's just the reality of, of where the NFL is. This isn't 2016 where you're needing your sixth rounders to be Play. major contributors. I mean, yeah. you, need, you need these guys to, to, to maybe make the team and help you out and, and have some upside. I mean, the guy I bring up and, and hopefully that this translates is that I would say similarly recruited, similarly disappointing college career, great NFL career is Stefan Diggs. That he was a huge, big-time recruit. Maybe not on the level of Donovan Peoples-Jones, but he had Alabama offers. He had all these offers to go every school. Went to Maryland. You know, similarly uh, non-eventful offense like Michigan has, and I think that hurt. And he just didn't perform all that well. And I think he fell to the fifth round. Same thing with with Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, the, Michigan's offense it stunk, and it was tough to watch. And I think that that played a part in it. But also, he's got something to prove. Uh, and, and use those traits that made him such a good high school recruit because the, these recruiting services don't miss often. Most of these five-star recruits become NFL players, and no matter what. And that, I think that he's got the skill sets to do it. Now he just has to prove it. All right, let's take a look now. That's the Browns recruiting class, recruiting class, draft class, seven guys. Five stars all around. Five stars, five, indeed, all the way around. That's your Browns draft class. It went really well. It also went really well for the other three teams in the AFC North division. Uh, the Ravens, outstanding job. They got some big-time players in later rounds. In addition to a first-round guy that just fell to them, uh, the Bengals did very well for themselves, picking number one in every single round of the draft, not trading out of that first number one pick. And then the Steelers did well – but they still didn't find anybody to back up Big Ben. So I think the focus is on the Ravens and the Steelers, both of whom significantly upgraded themselves, Gribbs. 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'll just say the Bengals had an incredible draft. I mean, and that, yeah. it's just because they just sat. I, I want to know what, 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 who's the last team with the number one pick to just sit and pick first in every single round? I can bring that up while you talk. Uh, I mean, the, so they just went across. They hit a bunch of areas of need, and I think they've got three starters at least in their first three picks, maybe even four for based on their needs. But I think they, they had a great draft. Steelers draft was, you know, kind of meh, but when you think about the, their first round pick was Minka Fitzpatrick, then it all works yeah. out. I, I didn't love their fourth. I didn't love them adding another running back in the fourth round. Like it just, they've got a lot of running backs on that team, but the Ravens just had the most prototypical Ravens draft, just drafting guys that you're like, that guy's going to be tough. And get, like Patrick Queen's just going to be someone we're, we're not happy with on Sundays, like JK Dobbins, like, why, why do they even need that guy on their team? I mean, there, there was just so many of those guys that the Ravens picked, but that's the division we're in, and, and that's that's life. I mean, that nothing's going to just be handed to you. This isn't the, AF, the AFC East. Uh, this is this is going to be a tough division no matter what. No doubt about it. And, and the Ravens, you know, in this draft had four third-round picks. They had a second, a first. You get Queen, you get Dobbins, you get Matabuke, an exciting interior defensive line prospect. They just always reload, and that's what they did here. They needed a middle linebacker. They end up getting Patrick Queen. Do they need really another running back? They have Ingram there, but they end up getting J.K. Dobbins, who you know is going to thrive for years because Ingram does have some tread on his tires. And Devin DuVernay with his 4-3 speed, another burner for that wide receiver room, a guy who caught everything at Texas and can make plays. Malik Harrison, well-known here, and on and on. Ben Bredesen, even from Michigan, who was a very, very good guard. You know, they need to try to get somebody to replace Marshall Yonda. They did a great job. You're right. I think the Bengals hit a home run. The Steelers, it's going to be more interesting. I think they got some interesting guys. I don't know what Chase Claypool's going to be in the NFL. Is he a receiver? Are they going to use him as kind of a, a move tight end and somebody who can just stretch the seam because he's 6'4", runs a 4'4", Maybe. Maybe that's what they do with him. But I found of the, of the four drafts, I would put them at the bottom. Again, you factor in Mika Fitzpatrick, just like last year would say, well, our first round pick was Odell Beckham. That makes it look a lot better. But I think it was kind of symbolic of the division right now. The Ravens are the cream of the crop. They had a, a cream of the crop draft. The Bengals are the team that I think will be the most improved. Uh, they had a great draft. We had, I thought, a great draft as well. And the Steelers, you have some questions, just like you have some questions right now, I think, a little bit about their long-term you know, viability in this post-Ben era. And I will say the best thing that could have come out of the weekend outside of the draft was that Jameis shunned them to go to the Saints. So they don't really have that other plan, and I, I love that. And we, we will get to that here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for a gribble little, little nugget there, hoping to poke the bear. ESPN stats and info. The Bengals made the first pick in every round of this year's draft, marking the third time the Bengals have done it, 2003 and 94. No other NFL team has done that even That's once awesome. in the common draft era since 1967. That's awesome. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, very Bengal thing to do, no question. So the AFC North gets a little bit better. We'll wait and see how it all shakes I, out on the field. I'd say watch out for the Bengals. Like I, I they're they're, they're going to be right back into like seven or eight win territory. Yes, I, I'm, I'm, I mean they're they, they were not as bad as their record indicated last year, and now they've got some. I mean their wide receiver room is arguably the best in the division. Yeah. Now, they, they have some really, really good players, and they are going to be a handful for sure. All right, let's take a look at the entire NFL draft, get a couple quick thoughts from you guys on this. Uh, your best pick from the draft that wasn't Browns-related. I can't say Griff Grant Delpit? Jeez, Louise. You may not. You have to come up with something else on this podcast other than Grant Delpit. All right. Gribs? Uh, I'm one? going with the last pick of the first day. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be a beast for the Chiefs. I mean, it's like the most perfect marriage of player and team. I mean, like, can he be a top five fantasy running back? Are we, are we scouting out that th this soon? I, I think he might. Yes. He, in, in the fantasy rookie drafts, he is the number one pick for me, uh, without a doubt. Andy Reid's already said he's better than Brian Westbrook, which is, by the way, a great disgrace to say something so prematurely about a legend like Brian Westbrook, but – Yes, he is going to be insane. There is it, That, by the way, would have been my answer. That was the one that I had pegged, so I'll go a different direction, uh, and I'll go with, I think, C.D. Lamb going to the Cowboys at that point. Uh, I, think he was the, I thought he was the best receiver in the, in the draft, and I think that's just the steal for them uh, to get him that late, which I thought was a really good one. Um, Patrick Queen would be another 
If you go into the second round, which I think that's where things got a little bit interesting, but after us, I love this, the two picks, right? Antoine Winfield Jr., KJ Hamler, and then you go down and you get Jeremy Chin, who a lot of people talked about as the last pick of the second round. I think there are going to be some pretty good players coming out of the second round when it's done, but Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you couldn't even make that up that he gets to go to the Chiefs. Oh, what what did the fair. Chiefs be? Another weapon. It isn't yeah. fair. All right, worst pick in the draft. Zagura, we'll start with you. Well, it, it really – I'm going to give you multiple because I like to overachieve. But what's going to be great about this, or you're going to love, is that they're all Green Bay Packers picks. Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon back-to-back are probably the two worst first two picks I could have ever imagined in my life. I don't know what their problem is with people named Aaron, but the disrespect that they continue to show Aaron Jones there for everything that that guy does as a running back, to get a guy who is just basically is – he, is he a fullback? He's 250. He's a plotter. And they have Aaron Jones. Oh, and then instead of drafting somebody in a historic wide receiver draft when you are desperate for wide receiver talent, let's not give Aaron Rodgers a receiver. That'd be silly. Why don't we draft another quarterback? Unbelievable. I thought their draft was mind-boggling. Gribbs. I mean, you took my answer, but I, I'll, I'll audible on, on the fly here. And I, I think the, the Falcons taking a cornerback at number 16 – when they had the opportunity to put a wide receiving core of Calvin Ridley, C.D. Lamb, and Julio Jones, I, I just I, – I get that the Falcons wanted quarterback, cornerbacks. Were they, were they that strapped that they had to have a cornerback in this draft? Like, I just – I didn't understand that at all. I mean, they, they had the opportunity for something really, really special there, and I just – I didn't get that. I thought that was drafting for need way over drafting for best player out there. Yep. All right. Which quarterback plays first, Jordan Love, Jalen Hurts, or Jake Fromm? Gribbs, we'll start with you. Jalen Hurts. They're going to find a way to get him on the field right away. Yeah, he's going to. He'll play this year. Yeah. In some type of Taysom Hillish role, but yeah, the other guys. And then of the other one, Jordan Love is going to be the first one to become a full-time starter in the NFL, barring injury. Barring injury. So a year from now, is he the starting quarterback in Green Bay? Yeah, because if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm done. Thanks for nothing. You had an opportunity to win multiple Super Bowls. You did nothing to help me in free agency for a decade, and now you do this. I'm out. I'm going to Denver with John Elway, and I'm going to be throwing the ball around the yard to Jerry Judy and K.J. Hamler and Cortland Sutton next year when Locke flops, or I'm going to New England with Belichick, and I'm winning Super Bowls. That's the deal. I'm out. Deuces. Relax. No. Lunacy and arrogance, that pick. I, I just couldn't. I, I can't wrap my head around it. Like, you have a, a once-in-a-generation quarterback. They went 13-3 last year, Gribbs. He, and yeah, by the just, way, he, he's probably got three, four years at the top level. Why would you not do everything you can for him about the future? Points. They never have. The last time they drafted a, a skill position player in the first round, and we'll count Jordan Love, was Rodgers in 2005. Like, that's crazy to me. I, you know what? They could have gotten him probably with their second pick. That's amazing. I, I, it really. I'm not. I'm not going on a limb by saying that. I think they could have maybe gotten him in the second round. Yes. At some point. I. I mean, Fromm drops all the way to the fifth. I'm not. I don't know what the Bills were doing because you've got Allen, who was one type of quarterback, and Fromm is the exact opposite, really. So I. I don't know what they're doing there. The Jets taking Florida International's James Morgan. By the way, their 10th quarterback in the past 15 years that they've drafted, the most by any team. Don't believe he was at the combine either. Yeah. By the way, player interesting note as I was doing my homework for today, FIU had two players drafted. Florida State, one. Wow. Talk about a team falling on some hard times, Daddy. Wow. a record 13 wide receivers going rounds one and two, 36 overall, 14 players from LSU, uh, 23 combined from LSU and Alabama, Ohio State and Michigan, each with 10 guys. Question for you both. Would you rather be Mr. Irrelevant or be the top undrafted free agent? Gribble. Oh, it, it's an easy decision now. It's the top undrafted free agent. I mean, the, I, I, I think I've seen some, some information out there that Mr. Relevant lost money by getting drafted. Yes, I would concur. Yeah, it's, and, then, and you get to pick where you're going. And you're going to have a recruitment process, and you're going to get paid. And, and, yes, absolutely, top undrafted free agent. Gibbs, here's one more stat for you. Larry Ogunjobi's Charlotte 49ers. 
He was the first pit draft pick ever from there. They had more picks in this year's draft than NC State or Duke. And just wow. as many as UNC, Wake Forest, and App State. Wow. I, Good for you, Larry. Good for that program. That program is uh, on the up and coming, as they say. Uh, miscellaneous stuff as we close out today's best podcast available presented by our good friends at Arby's. I do have to get a, a word from each of you. Jameis Winston is a New Orleans Saint. Gribs, uh, it's a good day because he's not a Pittsburgh Steeler. But uh, Jameis with a big one-year signing right after the draft ended, mind you. I mean, I was told he was, I mean, the best, one of the better quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I guess that maybe I was told on this podcast. I just, That's right. It's just, it's the fantasy footballization of NFL coverage on how Jameis Winston was covered last year. Let me tell you something, Gribbs. <laughs> I'm going to save this clip because what he did, what this is, in a word, this is brilliant by both Jameis well, Winston, who is not doubting himself. That. And it's brilliant by the Saints because if Jameis Winston, there are no physical issues right now with Jameis. Last year, obviously, there may have been some decision-making issues. And so he's going to go for a year and spend time with arguably one of the greatest decision-makers ever as a quarterback and learn everything about Drew Brees, about his process. Is he, does that make him Drew Brees? No. But Teddy Bridgewater said the year that he spent there, the two years he spent there, were invaluable to him in his development as a quarterback. And so you take that 26-year-old who's got all the tools. The guy threw for 5,000 yards in the NFL over 30 touchdowns. Yes, 30 interceptions, well aware. But you give that guy a year to just say, look – you're taking a step back, and we're going to teach you about how to be a quarterback, how to think like a quarterback at a level that he clearly has not gotten before or hasn't resonated. And if it does resonate, they're going to go from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston, a former number one overall pick for a decade, in a dome where he can sling it around with offensive geniuses. And I think it's a win-win for him, and it's a big, I think it's a big statement by him. He turned down more money elsewhere, including the Steelers, to say, I want to go here, and I need to become a better quarterback, and this is my best path for doing it. And by the way, could lead to him being in that division, beating the Bucs for a decade, and I think that had a, a little bit of appeal to it as well. I just, it's so interesting that that 2015 draft class, it's like the one and two quarterbacks obviously have not panned out, but they haven't flamed out just yet. They're just like kind of like withering away. Like they're now both backups, which I, you know, usually you see them just completely bust out of the NFL. I mean, it's, it goes one way there. Now they're just kind of like hovering around and it'll be interesting to see who, who redeems their career first. I mean, I think Mariota's got a better shot of starting games this year. Uh, but if Breeze can say if Breeze stays healthy, obviously, yeah. I will concede if I'm if I'm buying stock in one of them long term, I'm buying in Jameis just because the traits are there. I just think interceptions matter. Like it's just a lot of interceptions that clearly he no team wanted him to be their starter this year. Let me tell you this, and I'll come back here and say it next year on the BPA. If they don't sign him to a long term deal after this year, then he, I think he's toast. But if they like him, you're gonna know it. And I do think this is Breeze's probably last rodeo. And there'd be no better way, if he knows that Jameis is good, to leave them in those hands. And they'll know. Like, they'll know from being around him in the building and how he improves and what he shows. They'll know. They'll know. His, like, biggest skill set, though, is leadership. And I wonder what is what's going to happen to him personality-wise as a backup quarterback. That, that's going to be a big adjustment for him. Like, he is the ultimate alpha. And that's, I think he's been humbled, right? Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, you, you would hope, right, if that's what you're – you're banking on to take this deal. He had a better chance of coming in and being better than Roethlisberger coming back off of that surgery than he does of going in there and being better than Drew Brees in that offense, in that system. All and right. I think, I think he's humbled himself. We'll see. I think Where do the fun. following quarterbacks end up? This is real quick because we've had a monsterly long podcast. Uh, where do the following QBs like end we're up? We're overstuffed like an Arby's roast beef sandwich. Come on. Beef and cheddar. Cam Newton, where is he playing in 2020? Anybody? Anybody have a pick, a guess? I mean, it should be New England. And what are they doing up there? Are they, are they both the answer for him and Andy Dalton should both be New England. But I don't know if either is going to happen. The Jags aren't interested. And I, the Chargers got Herbert. So where else is there? What about the Seattle Seahawks? As a backup to Russ? Yeah. I don't know that Cam is what? ready to be a backup. I think I mean, he might not play. I think he would rather not, not play. ready for a backup role. I think I, he'd rather I would, not play. I, I would still not rule out the Chargers. 
All right. I think, well, and, I, and I agree with Nathan. I think Andy Dalton is – Patriots have got to get him. I, I just – I don't I don't understand what they're, what they're doing. The fact that the Bears gave up assets and money, a ton of money to Nick Foles when they could have just signed Cam Newton, will boggle my mind till the end of time. Because that seemed like a fit that was made – a match made in heaven. Yeah. yeah. All right, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure. Zagura, thank you for your time this week. You're back next week. Compensate me with some Arby's. Oh, don't you worry. I'm going to go partake here as soon as we wrap up I bet you on the podcast. Yeah. Would you expect anything less? No. Coming up real, on. Real quick, Nathan, more wins next year. Andy Dalton as Patriots QB or Tom Brady? Oh. Tom Brady. I feel like we're out oh, of our mind. Your hate for Denver. I mean, your hate for the Bucks is nuts to me. It's nuts. I'm going to have a Taco Bell for a palace. A fortune. Yeah, indeed. All right. Hold on. If Dalton goes there, is that another? Is that another? A second? Is this a second official wager? If Dalton goes to the Patriots, Patriots versus straight up total quarterback win. wins. There you so go. Health, health matters. You're saying or yes. okay. All right, fine. All right. Gentlemen. Now you're nervous. Zagura, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate your time. Coming up on Thursday's best podcast available, Nick Harris. Slated to join the podcast along with Gribble and Isaac is back with you uh, and us next week. Uh, make sure you log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcast. Like and subscribe today to the best podcast available. Also check us out on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Browns. Thanks to Jeff McDaniel for all of his help. Thanks to Nathan Zagura. Thanks to Arby's. That's right, baby. Come on. Arby's drive-thru on Bagley Road in Berea. Thanks for the assist. I'm there frequently, more than you know. Maybe more than my wife knows until right about now. Uh, Fran to Gribble, I'm Jason Gibbs. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening to the best podcast available. <laughs>